Hey, what's up everyone? It is Pastor Marcus here from the storychurchproject.com. Welcome to the Story Church Project podcast where our focus is how to redesign the local Adventist church to tell its story loud to a culture that is no longer listening. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today. Hey everyone, it's Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church Project Podcast. Today our topic is a big topic. It's a topic that so many people want to talk about and so many people have ideas about and that is how to attract millennials to your church. Now if you don't know what a millennial is, um, I don't really know what to say to you because it's one of the biggest buzzwords uh, over the last maybe 10 years. But millennials are basically young people and if you think of between the ages of probably about 21 to to close to 40, that's the millennial age group. Although it started to shift a little bit, but that's the general gist. And so I wanna talk about how do you attract them to your church? Because if there's one thing that we're all aware of, it's that we're not doing a very good job at that. And uh, But I'm excited because I'm not alone for this conversation. I'm joined by the host and the brains behind the Australian Table Talk podcast, Luke Farugia. Did I say that right, Luke? Uh, you're, you're close, Farugia, you're just Farugia. about there. So. Okay, because right, I felt like that sounded a bit Middle Eastern. Uh, the way yeah. I say it, Farugia. Or maybe it Latin. is over there. It's Maltese. So you're sort of ah. in that sort of Asiatic area. So. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Luke, welcome welcome to the podcast, man. Um, it's Thank good you. to have you on here. And uh, before we dive in and we talk about, you know, we're going to talk about your podcast, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about this millennial thing. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the legend behind Luke. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, my story is a reasonably simple one. So I was born in Australia in New South Wales, not too well, around the Sydney area, and uh, I grew up around the church. I won't necessarily say in the church, but certainly around the church. And uh, my first real uh, experience with God, even though I had lots when I when I or lots of connection with God when I was young, but I really came to God for myself when I was uh, 19, 20. And that was when I got baptized and I kind of threw myself 100% into my local church and started really just experiencing ministry in whatever way that I could. And that's put me on the rails that's led me to where I am now. I'm in Bundaberg. I am married married to the beautiful Sarah, and I have an almost two-year-old son called Seth. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Fantastic, dude. Look, I, I'm really excited to to get your thoughts and to, to hear a little bit more, and we're going to talk a little bit more later on about your podcast, The Australian Table Talk, as well. Um, and for those of you who are listening, if you haven't checked it out or, or even heard of it, make sure you Google it, um, hop on your podcast su- supplier or whatever you call that thing, um, and look them up, subscribe, because they talk about some really cool stuff. And right now, you guys are actually talking about um, faith and culture. And I know you just recently published an episode on Halloween, which I'm, I'm keen to listen to. I haven't heard it yet. Um, yeah. But being an American, uh, you know, it's a very big thing in America. And here in Australia, it's just starting to sort of take off. Mm. Uh, so I'd just love to hear what you guys have to say about that. And then recently, you had the conversations where you were actually looking at uh, hot topics in the church, things that people debate. Um, and your, your catchphrase is, we have the discussions you wish you could have in church. And mm-hmm. um, I love that. It's so intriguing. But um, before we get to that, um, I wanted to do one more thing because usually when we when I begin a podcast interview, I, I like to spend just a few moments um, bantering back and forth. 
Yeah. And uh, what I wanted to do was I wanted to play, I, I don't know if we call it a game, but mm. um, I suppose it sort of feels that we way. We could call it that, right? It's we, an exciting way to make it, it sound. It so. is an exciting thing. Yeah, yeah. I can call yeah. it a game. Um, so basically, I think it was in 2015. It might have been 2014. Um, don't quote me on that. Uh, the Barna Research Group did a study on what is the ideal church for a millennial. And there were six key things that they came up with right and so what i want to do is i'm going to i'm going to present these six key things to you and 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 the way that i this works is um you have to select the word that describes your ideal church as the loop um and so i'm only going to say two words and you got to pick one as fast as you can instinctively all right the, okay uh, do not you, you're not really allowed to ask me to explain you just got to mm -hmm. pick one all right yeah no overthinking yeah right. no overthinking just pick one and and i'm just curious to see what we're going to end up with because the results of this barna study was actually quite interesting um and uh so here we go select the word that best describes your ideal church number one community or privacy community number two Sanctuary or auditorium? Ooh. Auditorium. Okay. Number three, classic or trendy? Classic. Okay. Uh, number four, quiet or loud? Oh, I want to qualify, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say quiet. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, number five, casual or dignified? Probably gonna say dignified. Okay. And the last one, modern or traditional? Modern. All right, awesome, beautiful, that's it. That's all of them. Okay, um, good, did so, I pass? I, you, well, I don't know that there's a wrong answer. <laughs> what, this, uh, what this research did was it, it showed something really interesting and, and I wanna look at uh, some of your answers. So it, when people ask community or privacy, you know, and, and that one comes up, 78% of millennials preferred community to 22% mm. on privacy. Mm. Um, on sanctuary and auditorium, you, you picked auditorium. Interestingly, 77% um, picked sanctuary. Yeah, um, I actually, uh, that was the one I second-guessed myself after I'd finished it. I'm thinking about it later. It's a, I, I would have changed that if I had have had a little more time to think that one through. But yeah. Okay, all right. Well, so. I look, I'll go ahead and take, we'll put, put Sanctuary then. So that, all right. Thanks, yeah. Um, And then Classic Trendy, you picked Classic, yep. which 67% um, picked Classic over 33% Trendy. And see, this is the interesting thing about this research is it shows that millennials are not after a show. Yeah, you know, uh, which is interesting because the stereotype says that they are. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they value community, but when it comes to your church architecture, they prefer a sanctuary over an auditorium. Um, and when it comes to your church culture, they prefer something classic versus something trendy. It's really interesting. So um, then when it comes to quiet and loud, you picked quiet. 67% of millennials picked quiet. Um, only 33% pick loud, which again is sort of something that is counter what most people would have expected. Yeah. Um, so when it came to casual and dignified, you went with dignified. So this is one where millennials definitely went 64% casual, mm -hmm. um, only 36%. And this is talking about dress. So, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. do you want to go to church where you can dress casually or where you wear suits and ties, you know, that sort of dignified sort of thing. So 64% um, mm -hmm. went with uh, with casual. 
And the last one, you uh, modern versus traditional, you picked modern. And again, 60% went with modern to 40% mm -hmm. traditional. So you, there's a, it's a really interesting research, man. And if, if you want to check it out or if anyone else, um, I can put the link under this interview to, you know, so you can have a look at it uh, mm. for yourself. Because the results are really interesting. Like there's yeah. this tension between, you know, young people wanting a space that is casual and modern and um and community driven but also quiet and classic and sanctuary mm. so it's yeah it's that's like, really fascinating yeah it's it's quite fascinating because you know mm. m like you said earlier most people would just expect oh you just want you know like a show with lots of lights and you know like, it's it's not mm. like that at all yeah it's really interesting yeah. <laughs> so look uh luke thanks again for for taking the time to be here uh, with with us today at the Story Church Project podcast, and um, again, I, I want to shift gears and and go toward this topic: um, how to attract millennials to your church. And I know that this is this is a topic that you're you're passionate about, and, mm. and you and your team, and we'll talk about your podcast in a little bit. But I, I want to start with this question: Do you think the church in general, and of course we're talking about Adventism here, mm. um, are we struggling to reach and retain millennials? I think in first world cultures that 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 I'm familiar with and you're familiar with, yeah, I think that it's very clear that we're struggling to retain millennials. Now, you, I think it's something you, that we're definitely seeing and a rising trend too. I mean, as the millennials are getting older, we're sort of starting to see the effects of that more so. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned mm. you mentioned first world as sort of like the you know identify mm. them. Um, mm. what, what is what is the particular reason behind that? Is it is it is this something maybe that you feel is not as pronounced in in uh, third world, second world countries? Yeah, well, it it does seem to be that way. I mean, uh, just through connections that uh, I've had with people that are in uh, developing countries and that where the church is considerably younger, as if we're looking at the average age of a church member in those countries, the church is a considerably younger church. And so that would seem to indicate to me that they're having less trouble with, with uh, retaining those, those age groups. But yeah, why that is, I'm really not 100% sure, but it really does seem to be that... Uh, the culture that we've built, at least over the last several decades, there has been some significant disconnect at whatever whatever juncture that was that has started sending the church, at least in you know Western culture, into this state of irrelevance, which we mm. seem to be headed into, which is what at least our generation seems to be running away from. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That you said something really intriguing there. <clears throat> um, you talked about just sort of the culture mm. that that we've developed. And I think that's maybe an excellent spot for me to launch into this, this next question that I wanted to talk to you. Like, what do you think are some of the reasons behind why our local churches are struggling to reach and retain uh, millennials? Oh, I, I think there's some really big reasons behind that. I think one reason is the fact that we have done, at least it seems to me that we've done a pendulum swing, right? Uh, we have gone in a very similar way to uh, Israel, I think, where we have experienced this heavy swing towards a legalistic church culture, uh, at least, you know, you go back some decades. 
And because of that, when but when millennials arrived on the scene in our years of development, that was the kind of church that we were exposed to. And because we didn't see, uh, not of course not to say everybody was that way, but we didn't see the kind of Christianity that we could connect to and we could relate to that had integrity. We couldn't see that. And so because all we saw was the this this culture of of rigid rules and 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 laws and all the rest of it. Even though, uh, as I said, there may be individuals in that system that were fine. I think this this corporate culture that we had that that moved us in that direction. I think there's a very uh, strong reaction to that, and so that has driven people out of the church because their picture of God has been uh, warped in such a way, so as they don't think God is even the God that they want to be attached to. Man, that's so true, dude. Look, I'm I'm mm. tempted to ask. I know you weren't really raised in church, so um. Mm. Uh, mm. So I for s- for clarity, I was when I say raised around church. My for clarity on that, uh, my parents were baptized when I was about five, and so okay. uh, we went into the church at that point. But we did move away to the country, and so we weren't really near a church. And so my experience with church was very intermittent. We really didn't have a, a church family around us, so to speak. So uh, that was what okay. I meant by right. around church. So, but I have been in the church for a long time there okay well here's my question um mm. and and look <laughs> i've got i got some weird stories i can share but you know obviously one yeah, of the yeah. things you mentioned is you know like as the church enters this sort of legalistic mindset and and we've seen that in our history um mm. it, it does create a constraining culture mindset mm. that emerging generations completely disconnect with Mm. Um, do you have any any stories, any experiences, uh, maybe not for yourself personally, although that would be cool, but even for friends who have mm. gone through something that they said, nah, I'm done? Mm. Yeah, look, definitely. The just thinking about that probably one of the one of the things that springs to mind for me is uh, and I can share this from my own experience that when I, I I was baptized like I mentioned earlier, I was baptized at the just when I turned 20 and when I did that, because I was so excited, right? You, you know what it's like when someone first is baptized, they're on fire, and and that was me. Mm-hmm. And the, the 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 culture that I was looking at around me, I thought, well, I'm going to throw myself 100% into this, and I progressively become more and more legalistic, conservative, critical of others as I went forward. And for me, that was. Uh, you can go one of two directions, right? You can rebel against it, or you can, um, you know, do the uh, the Paul thing and with great zeal go and persecute people. <laughs> it's sort of yeah. like you've got the two options. For me, I took the the, the option of okay, well, I'm going to take this and I'm going to go down that that path of legalism myself. Not that I would have said that out loud or thought that, but I can only see that now in hindsight. And uh, there was a lot of pain between me and realizing that particular. Uh, path wasn't one the one of fulfillment and the one that actually leads me to God. Yeah. And so, but when I was in that sort of frame, I had friends that were around me who who did leave the church. One one that springs to mind specifically, uh, he was you know the you know you would think totally ingrained in the church, right? You you would have thought that he was one hundred percent committed, but when he got to the the place of um, crisis in his life, uh, it w- he just said, you know what, this is this is too hard. Like you know, I, I, it's just not for me. It's not that I it's not that I don't believe in God, but this is just there's just too many rules, too restrictive, too many hypocrites. Uh, I'm just going to go do my own thing. And yeah. he walked straight out of the church, and that was it. 
Yeah, man. And it's so tragic, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, it's one It is, because thing... he's still out, you know, he's still out of the church. And yeah. that's a, a decision that goes on to affect his family, you yeah, know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, I've, I've said this before, and, and I'll say it again. Um, I, I don't think I've said it on the podcast at any point, mm. but I've said it, you know, in leadership meetings and stuff. I think mm. part of the challenge that we have uh, is... Like, I got an email some years ago after I wrote this blog about Jesus and grace and, you know, how wonderful mm. it was. I got this blog by this kid who'd been going to an Adventist school, not an official one. It was a self-supported one. Mm. And um, and he'd been taught all this legalistic stuff. You know, he had to be perfect. Yeah. He had to overcome all of his sins or God wouldn't accept him. And he'd be lost mm. forever if he had anything in his life. You know, and so he committed himself 100% to this process of becoming holy. And the more mm. he tried, the more he failed. Mm. Um, so he writes me from the other side of suicide mm. because he got back home after, you know, being in this school and his mom didn't want him there. He came from a broken home and, you know, I guess there was an odd relationship with his mother. She didn't want him there. She got into a big fight. He goes down to the park. He sits down on a bench and he realizes as he's sitting on this bench, I don't belong at home. My, I'm not good enough for my mother and mm. I don't even belong in heaven. I'm not good enough for God. Wow. And so he decides to go home and end his life. Um, and uh, thankfully, he survived. And he contacts me uh, and says, look, what do I do now? Because I can't keep going like this. And um, I think the thing for me that frustrates me is that there are people who live in a legalistic paradigm their whole life like that. And it mm -hmm. never affects them that way. Because yeah. people have different personalities, you know, so some mm. people are like type A personalities. They're really gung ho, you know, the kind mm. of people who could like join the army and, and the Marine Corps and, and, and love it because they're just mm. that kind of personality. And you give them this real legalistic theology and they may mm. not necessarily feel happy or free or anything, but but, you know, they're they're in there and they're, you know, they're committed to it, you know, and they're like, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this is the way to do it. Um and, and yet, you you know, not everybody's a type A personality. You've got people who aren't like that, who take this same exact theology that we put on them, and, and for them, it just rips them to shreds. Yeah. And um, it's terrible, you know, the, the, the things that we do in the name of theology, the things we do to people sometimes. Mm. Um, and this builds walls, right? Th yeah. This builds walls between us because then if you feel like you're never going to be good enough, then you're never going to entrust that information to somebody else because they might, yeah, they might know that you're not good enough. Mm. And, but that's, yeah, that's half the problem, right? We insulate ourselves from one another. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I was, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just talking to my wife about this yesterday, how this is one of the things that breeds the lack of community. Yeah. Because because now we've created a paradigm where we, we all know we're supposed to be perfect and yet none of us are, but mm. we just pretend to be so we can fit into the club. Oh, and yes. Just, and we're all faking it, you know? Mm. And like yeah. how, how much healing mm. and freedom and beauty and redemption would we experience if we all just took off the mask and said, look, I'm not okay. I, mm. I don't have this. I, I'm not perfect at all. I'm not <laughs> anywhere yeah. close. And we just look to Jesus, you know, like mm. what a massive difference that would make, man. Mm. So let me let me follow up on that and, and build on that a little bit because, you know, this friend of yours, the experience he had, the experience you had, very similar to mine, by the way. I was mm. introduced to this real legalistic theology and I bought into it and I went gung-ho with mm. it. Um, and it messed me up as well. Mm. Um 
but you know like i can think even even to you know growing up in church different things that predisposed me to embrace this legalistic theology because growing up in church nobody ever said to us you're saved by works no one ever said that no you know like adventists have enough tradition in them to know like oh you don't say that you know (laughs) (laughs) it was it was the little things that they put into our subconscious that when i was confronted with this legalistic theology i was ready to embrace it so things like for example when you go to the when we go out on sabbath um, and we go to the lake you can jank, you can get in the water, but it can't go past your knees. Yeah, you know, because if it goes past your knees on Sabbath, then you're sinning. Mm. Um, but if it stays under your knees, <laughs> yeah, then then you're just waiting. Then, then that's yeah, fine. then that's okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just weird, bizarre things like that. So mm. you know, it's it's very really when you think about it, it's pharisaical. Oh, absolutely, ridiculous rules that we invent. Um. Mm. And so what I wanted to build off, because one of the things you said was there's just too many rules. Mm. Um, So I want you to expand on that a little bit. Like there's too many rules thing. Like how do you relate to the idea of of rules in our walk with God and and how that impacts young people and millennials? Like is there a healthy approach? Is there – yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think that we should take the same approach that God takes. We were talking in, in my just in my family, uh, my wife and I we were talking about Sabbath observance. Funny you mentioned that uh, about the you know the the water thing. We were talking about you know well what does the Bible actually say you can and can't do on Sabbath? And not just looking at the the, the words on the page, but let's ask what are the what's the principle behind the commands? And uh, we went right through this, and uh, actually, well, Sarah, my, my wife, did the majority of this particular study, and we were talking about it just last week, and she said, isn't it amazing, like, going through all, everything the Bible says about Sabbath, and it's like every time it gets up to prescribing specific behavior, the Bible turns silent. Mm. It gives you the principles, but it doesn't get hardly ever anyway gets as far as prescribing specific behavior uh, aside from the overarching principles of you know don't work and you know th- th- this concept of it being a sanctuary in time and all, all of that's in there but as far as you know h- how deep the water can be that you're wading in or whatever <laughs> there, there's not there's nothing there's none of that and i think god does that for a reason and the i th- i believe the reason is because he expects us to make a, a reasoned decision based on uh, the principles of Scripture and our relationship with God and also in in the practicality of the, the circumstances that we're living in. Mm. So there isn't a lot of like purely black and white on that particular topic. But I think across the board as humans, we love black and white rules. We love fine print because then it's easy for us to measure whether we're good enough or whether we're not good enough. And so I, I really believe that that is that it's part of human nature to desire that black and white, but it is a part of our Christian spiritual development to get to the place where we realize that it's not as black and white as we wish it was. If wow. that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is that's really powerful, man. And and look, I agree with you. And and I think another part of the challenge is that a lot of times it, it is a culture in our church <clears throat> that has tended to be more about the right answers than mm. you know like multiple oh, choice amen. you know a you know here's the question answer it, option a b or c which one is it rather than a conversation yeah uh, that has nuance and complexity mm. and and i and i think that's a problem because the bible is inherently a story it's not an ethical manual mm. you know like the bible's concern is not here's what you can or can't do on the sabbath 
and mm. here's what you can or can't do with this or that. Like that's not its concern. It's it's a narrative that is opening up the heart of God. And so what you'll see is people will look at the Bible right in the Old Testament and you'll see, oh, God said, you know, no gathering sticks on the Sabbath, right? Or, or things mm. like that, you know, in, in particular yeah. with the Israelites as they were traveling. Um, mm. And we'll look at those really specific rules and instead of looking at those really specific rules within the context of the narrative, the unfolding narrative, we just stay there and we're like, okay, so that was the really specific rules for them. So what are the really specific rules for us? Mm. But it doesn't have any. So then we just yeah. make up a bunch and we end up like the Pharisees in Jesus' day who had 800 commands, if I remember properly, 800 man-made commands surrounding the Sabbath alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you know what the funny thing is about this in, in my personal experience when I was uh, trying to, you know, be holy and I, and I was on that legalist kind of rail, when I was going through that experience, now looking back, I would actually say in some ways my Sabbath keeping, just for picking a, uh, picking a topic out of the construct of, of law, but my Sabbath keeping as an example would now probably be more, you know, to I don't like using these terms, but probably more conservative than mm. uh, it was previous. But my experience is one of liberty because now I'm not looking for the rules. I'm looking for the the God behind the rules. My conformity to a lot of a lot of those commands is better and and more complete than it ever would have been previous to that. And so I think we have to also draw the line of distinction that just because we're saying that Scripture isn't as specific about these rules as we think, when we have an experience with God, we usually end up keeping a lo at least a lot of them anyway, yeah. simply because they're they are in harmony with the principles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's relational. It's relational. It's yeah. it's driven by. It's like a relationship. You know, obviously, I don't live every single day looking at a list of rules on how I'm going to be a good husband, right? Like it's just a natural yeah. sort of outflow because oh, so, so there's good. a relationship yes. there that is dynamic and beautiful and mm -hmm. growing and it's exciting mm -hmm. you know i don't need a checklist that says you know get flowers mm. and tell her she's yeah. beautiful and you know <laughs> pray for mm -hmm. her like i don't need that it just happens naturally and I, and absolutely like i think that's you know when we approach it relationally every those things take care of themselves yeah. when we approach it um rules driven then we miss the actual beauty and what i hear you mm. saying is that approach, that rules-driven approach is part of what's created a culture in our church that makes it so hard mm -hmm. for young people to connect in any meaningful way. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you guys, going on to your podcast now, um, mm. uh, that's I think that's one of the things that really drives your mm. project is mm. that um, you know, your tagline is, we have the discussions you wish you could have at church. Hmm. Um, and, and so what I'll tell you what I think when I read that. Sure. Um, I think, first of all, this is a no judgment zone. Hmm. That's the first thing I think, because mm -hmm. if these are the good discussions that I wish I could have at church and these guys are having it, then this must be a no judgment zone because they're tapping into the stuff that you don't talk about in church because you're afraid of getting judged, you know? Yeah. Um, and the second thing I think of is this is a safe zone. Because we're, you know, we're, this isn't about arguing about who's right and who's wrong. This is about conversation. And um, so those two things, judgment, safe, you know, conversation. Mm. Um, do you think that that, you know, this culture that you say we've created has 
taken away our ability to have judgment-free, safe places of worship. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is one of the, the big issues here. And in in my own experience, right, when I moved to Bundaberg, where I am up here, I went to a, a, a men's group. And, you know, from the podcast, uh, anyone who has listened to us for a while will know there's five of us in the podcast. There's myself, Dave, Ben, Matt, and Nathaniel. And Dave started a, uh, a men's group. Um, this is some years ago now. But I moved to the area. They they had been going to the group had been op- meeting for a while. But when I arrived, I attended. And when we sat down, we started chatting. And they were the they were the ground rules, right? There is no judgment. Everything. This is totally a safe zone. We can have whatever conversations that we want. And that group just blossomed. All of us. There was probably I, don't, I can't remember exactly how many. Probably eight eight or so of, of us guys that we would get together and chat. And we never had a, a. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't a Bible study. It was let's talk about the real issues that you just would never bring up at church. You know, let let let's talk about the the deepest parts of our life. And that's what we did. And it was amazing the connections that formed between us in that group. And really. Table Talk itself kind of grew out of that because the five of us that connected over those topics within that group, we then were the ones that said to each other that day in in Sabbath school, hey, we should record these conversations. And that started the whole project. But it was based, it was rooted in that opportunity for honest conversation with each other. That's awesome, man. And and so that's really been then, you know, creating that space where... And, and look, I've listened to your podcast, and I think what I like about it as well is creating that space where you can have these conversations. But as I listen to your conversations, there's there's this sense in which no one's arguing for the supremacy. You know, mm. like no one's saying, no, you're wrong. It's this way, and it's got to be this way. Like, you know, there, there are guys on your team who will say, like, well, look, I, I think this, and, and this is kind of what makes sense to me. And then the conversation is free and it's open and, 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 and people, you know, someone else on the team might say, well, I see it this way, but it's a really safe conversation. Like you never walk away feeling like, well, you've got to see it my way or else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that that's the thing you see, because we, one of the goals that we had right from the very beginning was that we wanted to model what what Christian disagreement should look like. Mm. And the, I mean, in one of the divisive issues that we covered in, in a recent episode, uh, one of the issues was uh, the, uh, women's ordination, right? This is something that's very big in our church currently. Yeah. And the interesting thing was, what we realized was it's not a binary decision. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? What we actually had at the table were five different viewpoints on what was the best way forward. Mm. So we, even though we we all sort of agree and we're all one, we're all unified. We all had very different viewpoints. And at the extremes, we had some people that are, that are very much 100% for the ordination of women. And at the other end of the extreme, on the other end of the continuum, we have members that are on the, the alternate end, right? But everyone sort of then floats in between that. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about those conversations is at the end of it, we get up, we have a laugh, we hug each other, and off we go. And we yeah. Yeah, so catch you next time we record. And <laughs> that relationship is totally independent of whether we agree with each other or not. And that's mm. the way it should be in our churches. We just yeah. wish, I just wish that it was anyway. Well, that's actually the ne- very next question I was going to ask. What do you think it would mean for our young people if mm. our churches were like that? Oh, 
That would be amazing. Can you imagine? I mean, just okay. So pause with me for a second. Just imagine that you know there's a young person, and maybe they're an 18 year old, and they're wrestling with their faith, and they're they're trying to figure out, you know, is is God really what what he's been portrayed as? And he, they're wrestling with those questions. Right now, at least it seems to me that if someone comes and says that in a Sabbath school or go and says says that to a group of people at church, you're immediately going to be looked at in a few different ways. People are either going to look at you like you are a heretic and that we should be, you know, shutting you outside. Mm. They're going to look at you with pity, like, oh, you poor thing. Why are you asking these silly questions? Or, you know, there's going to be an awkward silence. That's probably mm. the, what most people are going to give. If that same person was sitting at a Sabbath school and said, you know what, I'm wondering, is God even real? And for these reasons, can you imagine if the Sabbath school then took the next 20 minutes to actually say, well, let's talk about that. Why do we believe God is real? Let's uh, let's ask a re- some really basic fundamental questions and explored that and then followed up later. And I, I really think that if we're open to asking those hard questions and having the hard discussions it deals with those questions in such a way so as to not damage the person on their their own personal journey, but mm. it also helps the other people, those that perhaps didn't have that question, it helps them to not fear the questions, yes. to not fear asking hard questions. Yes. Because yeah. so, I know that was me. I was afraid of asking hard questions because I was afraid somehow that God wouldn't be able to stand up to my scrutiny. Mm. <laughs> and isn't that crazy, right? You know, and it's it's so interesting that you say that because apart from the culture that, you know, a legalistic culture which closes the door to conversation, um, there's also, and this is, this is an opinion of mine, whenever I run into churches that refuse to discuss certain things, what it tells me is you are insecure in what you believe. Yes. So absolutely. I'll give you an example. I was at a church years ago. I was working at a church and they had a program in the afternoon and the discussion was on alcohol. And um, the youth wanted to know, what does the Bible really say about alcohol? And so, you know, one person got up and said, well, here's the traditional view of alcohol and here's how we've traditionally understood what the Bible's saying. And there was another guy in the audience. I forgot his name. And he, he gets up and he presents an alternate view. He's like, well, here's how I see it. You know, I don't agree with the traditional view. This is the alternate view. I see it this way. And n- no sooner had he finished than one of the older members got up and scolded him and said, these are our youth and we shouldn't be telling them these things and you shouldn't be saying those things here. We're not here to tell them it's okay to drink out. Just scolded him. And what that did for the young people, because I was the youth pastor at the church, what that did for the young people was they completely shut down for the rest of the program. They yeah. didn't want to interact at all anymore. And later yeah. on, when we got together separately and had a debrief, they opened up and they were so angry about yeah. this older person's response. One yeah. of them happened to be her mom, so she was even more <laughs> angry. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, what that said to me was, if you're incapable of having an open conversation and putting everything on the table and 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 having that conversation, you know, in a, in a civil way, what it tells me is you're not really secure about what you believe. Mm-hmm. You have real doubts about what you believe, and when someone pokes at it, it mm-hmm. brings your insecurities out and you freak out. Yeah. And so part of it I think is, you know, we need to be secure in what we believe. 
Yeah, uh, because absolutely. when you're secure in what you believe, you can have a conversation with anyone about anything, about any mm. idea or worldview, you know? Um, mm. And so that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, the legalistic culture, I totally agree, man. Like that kills mm. conversation. But I also mm. think that legalistic culture, uh, not only does it kill conversation amongst us, it, it's, it prevents us individually from developing a faith that we're really secure in. Yeah, and, and, and then when it's poked, you, then we freak out, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of the big problems that we that we have on our hands, is that we don't. And this is why discipleship is so hard. I think for for the more recent generations is because we don't have a culture of mentoring anymore. And why is that? It's because the the conversation, the connection, the intergenerational connection has been has been killed basically mm-hmm. because the younger generations don't feel comfortable opening up or speaking or being honest with the generations that have gone before because of experiences that are just like the one that you shared. Mm. You know, I, I had an experience just recently and, um, Oh, obviously not going to name the the uh, the people or the churches that were involved, but there w- was somebody from from a church, and there was there was a discussion about um, social media, and the and this older person virtually just railed on social media, and. Mm. Uh, and gave some very unkind remarks, and my and I know at, the, at this church they have issues with getting uh, the youth involved. And I thought to myself, is it any wonder? You know, if if the things that the youth are doing are are being condemned at such a high level by people who are in the church, is it any wonder that they don't engage? They're, they're, yeah. That's what they're expecting. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think as as a church globally, but you know, certainly any individual that's listening to this in their own congregation, that we should be going out of our way to make it totally safe, so people aren't going to feel condemned by those things. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I want a church culture where, you know, a young person and, you know, when I say sometimes when we say young, we all we think God teenagers, you know, I'm talking no, no, you no, know, no. even up to yeah. your 40s, you know, like you know, the young adult, um, the non seniors. You know, yeah, that's yeah. right. The non seniors uh, where where you can just explore anything, you know, you know what are, are you do you are you do you want to have sex before marriage? Let's talk about it. You don't have to hide, you know, you, you yeah. can ask the question are you know, are your friends smoking weed and you want to give it a go? Let's talk about it. You know, let's create mm. a space where, you know, you can have these conversations. One of the things I've noticed in my experience is sometimes people will have these heavy temptations to do things and they come to the in, into a healthy community and they talk about it. And mm. just the act of talking about it, like nobody tells them what to do. Just the yeah. act of talking about it kills the temptation. You yeah. know, they'll walk away and say, oh, you know what? After talking about it, now I'm kind of over it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's, you know, like I'm craving that sort of environment where, where young people, you know, hey, are, are, are you struggling with the church's position on, um, on issues surrounding the LGBT community? Let's talk about it. You know, yeah. let's talk about it in a non, with non-defensive postures. How do mm. you feel about it? What are your thoughts? You know, yeah, look, here's how we feel about it. But you know what? Let's let's have a civil, meaningful discussion, not a, well, you've had your turn and now we're going to shut you down. You know what I mean? Like that sort of mentality is is definitely alienating young people. And I think, well, you know, it's killing us as the, you know, well, not us because I'm a millennial myself, but it's killing yeah. the older generation's ability to be those mentors that you said, you know, you should be. Yeah. 
Exactly. And uh, I mean, even you're just talking about ha- having it, you know, framed as a debate or almost and the, the damage of that. Even Mrs. White in her time, she when she talks about uh, Adventists being the masters of the argumentative discourse, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and how many how many people we, we lose as a result of that. And mm. it, it's still true. It's yeah. still true. We still struggle with with those systemic problems. That's so. right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I wasn't going to mention this. You just actually, it just sprung into my mind after what you just said. Um, my friend uh, Nelson Fernandez recently posted, I just interviewed him recently for, um, we talked about the uh, annual council. Um, mm. But on his Twitter, he posted something really interesting. Um, and I don't remember what it said word for word, but it was something along the lines of like, when you convert people on the premise of how other denominations are wrong, you fill your church with people who are used to pointing out the faults in others. Um, and I think that the way we do evangelism feeds into this culture as well, because how many people have been converted to our, to Adventism, um, Mm. not converted, but convinced into Adventism because we spent our time talking about how everyone else is wrong, you know? Mm. And so it's like, well, the Catholics are wrong and here's why. And the, you know, the Protestant churches are wrong and here's why. And, and we're right. And Mm. so, you know, people who are convinced by this mindset join the church with the thoughts we're right. We're we're the right people. We have the truth. You know, we alone have the truth. Everybody else is wrong. And the moment I see anything in church, you know, even from my own community that seems to be different from what I've been exposed to or introduced to, then they're wrong too. And there goes the fight, you know. So we're, we're converting people with arguments and, and what you convert people with is what you convert them to. Mm. And, you know, you convert them with arguing and pointing out how everybody else is wrong. You convert them to that experience. And that's what they do mm. in church, you know. And, and I think it, there is a valid fear, though, right? So people that, that say, oh, yeah, but, you know, but we are a unique people and all the rest of it. The, the, they feel like if we aren't pointing out the errors in everybody else, we're saying we're just another Protestant denomination. Mm. But that's not the case, right? Exactly. That's yeah. not the case. We have something that is truly unique and is truly beautiful. And what that means is we should be secure enough to be able to demonstrate the truth and let people accept and be converted by the truth rather than present all the error and say, well, we're the last man standing. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's so true. Like, our, the beauty of Adventism you you don't need to put someone else down to lift us up mm. you know yes. and and really what it sounds like when people do that it sounds like the insecure boyfriend you know mm. who's really yeah. jealous and when his girl talks to someone else he gets really jealous mm. and he's mm. really angry you know like i've seen that you know oh mm. you, you know people they went to a different denomination you know they went to a different church they read a book by someone who's not advent it's just like what you sound like a jealous boyfriend you know <laughs> yeah. um when you know and you're secure and, yeah. and you know you know what adventism is unique and it's and it's mm. beautiful it has something really relevant to say that nobody else is saying and i believe that with all my heart um mm. then i don't need to put someone else down in order to lift us up you know i, I can right. talk about our differences i think that's relevant you know mm. i can talk about the mm. differences between adventism and you know catholicism mm. or calvinism yeah we can talk about that i think those things are good but mm. i don't need to insult them i don't need to put them down in order to say well here's why we're so good you know yeah um so yeah you know that's 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 really key and mm. um I, I and i gotta say i think if if we develop this sort of culture in our churches uh, we will do so well, you know, so much more at attracting millennials. It's, it's not about the rock bands and, and you know, and that stuff. It's, yeah. it's really, you know, one of the key things, what you've been discussing, creating mm-hmm. a culture that is safe for people yeah. to ask questions and to grow and to be real. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really believe that just in what I've observed in the church that I'm in currently, the 
uh, millennial retention is, is fantastic, right? There's, I'm just trying to think. There's been very few people that have left, and if they have, it's generally for like because they're moving or whatever. As yeah. far as people that have left the church, the number is quite small. And I think that we are very unique uh, because of that. But I think the, there's several reasons for that. There's several contributing factors that at least I've observed. And I think probably the big ones is that there is there was opportunity made for uh, young people to, to serve, right? And not as in, oh, there's a token young person on the board. But I mean, mm. there are young people who are capable uh, and when I say young people, like, again, I'm not meaning teenagers necessarily. I, I'm just meaning, you know, not very senior members of the congregation who are occupying very responsible positions. Yep. And so that is showing the rest of the young people that, you know, we are, our voice matters. We, you know, we are a part of this um, church. We're not, uh, it's not us and them, you know, yep. and that made a big difference. But there were a couple of young people who were here before I, I moved to the area Um yeah, Ben being one of them, who's in the podcast with with us now, um, and he was one of the the pioneers, if you like, that uh, earned the respect of the older people in order to gain the gain those those responsible positions mm. and to to build that trust. So the rest of the church looked at the young people not as someone that had to be supervised, but looked at them as co-workers in the gospel. Yeah. And that was a massive, a massive difference. And I think the the other end of, of that thing that really made a difference is just what we've been talking about. The fact that the young people themselves, we sort of kept each other together because we created a safe place to have the hard conversations. So mm. we didn't feel like we had to go outside of the the community of faith in order to have those questions answered or explored. That is beautiful, man. That is beautiful. I really hope uh, for those who are listening that you'll um, encourage your young people. Look, it could be as simple as saying, you know, let's put together a Friday night gathering where we can ask the hard questions and, and mm. you know, not to debate, not, you know, not to power drive each other to the wall um, mm. or nail each other to the wall with Bible text, but just to have those conversations um, in, a, in a redemptive way. It, it can go so far and it's it's so beautiful. Uh, mm. Luke, man, we are we are out of time. But what mm. I want to do before I close is I want to I just want to ask you if somebody has been listening to this podcast, they want to check out the Australian Table Talk podcast and they want to be able to contact you or connect with you, how can they do it? Okay, it's pretty easy. You can uh, look us up online. The, I mean, the website is the obvious place. So that's AusTableTalk, A-U-S, tabletalk.com.au. And, uh, but we are also on social media. So you can find us on Instagram at AusTableTalk and also on Facebook, same way, Oz, at AusTableTalk. Fantastic, man. Luke, thanks again so much for coming on and having this amazing discussion. I've had a great time. Mm, uh, me, really me too. Thank it. you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, look, I I'm inspired even myself, you know, going back to my uh, local churches to, to keep this thing going. Um, and, and, you know, for those who are listening, again, you know, really challenge you and, and I hope to inspire you to, to make those changes and to pray for our young people. Uh, we mm -hmm. love our young people. We want to see them active in building the kingdom of God. Now, before we close, guys, um, I just want to invite you, if you haven't had a chance yet, to head over to the storychurchproject.com. Uh, go to the store. There's a book. You can click the add it to the cart button and then you can buy it. Yeah, um, it's actually uh, it's actually one of my um, favorite. It's, it's not the only book I've written. I've got a few others that will be coming out, but it's one of my favorites because 
it deals with the heartbeat foundational reason why most local Adventist churches are dead. And, and so um, what this book does is it explores that and it does it in a way in which you can actually do it in a group. It's got some questions at the end of this chapter and you can explore and grow together. And of course, um, you get to support Adra while you're at it because there are 10% of every sale goes to the Adra Dream Track Project in South Queensland. So anyways, give it a go, guys. Check it out. And um, if anything, I will catch you on the next episode. Take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's latest episode of the Story Church Project Podcast. I hope you were blessed. If you haven't yet had a chance, I want to invite you to head over to thestorychurchproject.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Not only will you get the latest updates every week, but I'm also going to send you a free gift straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss it. I'll catch you on the next one.